4K being an asshole. So, <laughs> what a villain! What, oh a, what a bad guy! Yeah, yeah, it's it's the Monopoly man, right? I mean, I don't know if his mustache could have been twirled any tighter. It couldn't have been. Yeah, um, it's fun though. Like, like are we it? Are we actually recording? Yeah. Okay. Well, I won't say the thought I just had. Okay, then. we'll say that because it's actually some good stuff. Deal. But um, hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. We gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss. And that's now that season that we all love. We have come back to Shocktober. The uh, season of the, the bitch. Um, do we have a, a, a title? Do we have a, we have a the international? The the international. I mean, we haven't recorded in over a month. It has been a long time since we have been uh, here at Studio A, and uh, so it was a nice break. I, I I've missed you guys. Did you guys? Did you do anything fun on vacation? Um, no, I worked. Yeah, me too. I had kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, there's been a lot happening, but we've been very, very busy and we're very, very glad to be with you all. I am still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And just in case you're tuning into the Good Trash Genre cast for the very first time, um, welcome to our Shocktober Marathon, the International, which is going to be international horror movies. It's not always what we do. We, again, look at the movies you wouldn't ordinarily look at in a film space course, and we do analysis on those. It's not a review show. It's an analysis show. And that does mean that there are going to be spoilers. We're going to avoid spoilers for the first part of the show, just in case you have have not caught up with Train to Busan. And so what we'll do in the the course of our work here with you is we'll do a synopsis, we'll move into thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, we'll then do play a little game called Expanding the Syllabus, and all of those places you might have graduating levels of slight spoilers uh, there. But once we play the music that tells you that we've gotten down to business, and that business is analysis, uh, once that happens, all spoiler bets are off, and we'll talk about, you know, how the train, um, that little engine really could. Because it said, I think I can, I think I can, and made it to the top of the hill. I wish I knew I think I can in Korean. <laughs> I, I, I also wish you knew that. But uh, without any further ado, I think it's now time to get... Oh, you're going to look it up. Um, without any further ado, though, I think it is now the time in which we delight ourselves with that synopsis. Do it. I'm not even going to try it. Um, but a synopsis <laughs> I can do for you. Yeah, do that. I, I can't speak Korean. Um, while traveling to Basan, a distant father, his daughter and a group of other passengers are forced to fight for their lives when zombies board the train. It's Die Hard in a train. It's that Steven Seagal movie. Yeah, well, you know, you, zombies. you never want to pull out your RSS feed or your, you know, your Twitter or X or whatever, your, your feed and see hot keyword zombie. <laughs> never, <laughs> you never want that. You know, it's a zombie bad, is trending on X. No, it's you never a want bad, it. Bad, bad day. Yes, yeah. indeed. So um, that is what the movie is about. That's a very good synopsis. Uh, with that in mind, um, I'd never seen the movie. Arthur had never seen the movie. Dalton had never seen the movie. We are all virgins to these particular zombies. So I go to you first, Dalton. What is your quick thumbs up, thumbs down review of Train to Busan? Well, I'm, I'm hot off the presses with this one. I, I like literally wrapped the film minutes ago, minutes ago. Yeah, I was I, just a bad, bad boy. I did not use our vacation wisely. You had literally a month and a I week. I could have watched the prequel anime. I could have watched the sequel Peninsula. I did none of those things. The extended uh, Train to Busan universe. I know. It was well, all that to say what a huge hit this film was, right? Uh, did almost $100 million internationally. It was like one of the first, uh, or was the first Korean movie of 2016 to have more than 10 million attendees at the at the theaters. So, I, yeah, I remember when this dropped. I was shocked when it wasn't on Netflix, because that's sort of how this movie made its bones as, a, as an international crossover, was uh, as, a, as a Netflix acquisition. Uh, it's on Showtime right now is where you can watch it. Um, it's also on a lot of places with ads. It's on Amazon Prime. I got it on Peacock. Uh, okay, see, so it's available. I tried to watch places. it on Prime, but I didn't get subtitles. Interesting. Oh, really? Well, yeah. You had, you had to turn them on. I turned mine on. I went to turn them on, and it wouldn't do it. Oh, really? Yeah. Weird. Like, subtitles apps are buggy. So I went to Peacock, and then it tried to dub it for me, and I was like, no, thank no you. No way. <gasps> it might be delightful as a dub. It I may be, but well, good voice I, acting. I wasn't ready for or, that. Or bad, bad voice, voice acting. I think was the case. It can be a really good time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, all, all of this preamble to say like this film or to acknowledge that this film was kind of uh, a phenomenon. Uh, and while we did not, or at least I did not get to dig into the weeds of its expanded lore, I had a fabulous time. This movie kicks ass and I can tell why it was such a big hit. This is one of the better zombie movies of the last, I would say of the post revival era of the post, like 28 days later, Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. Uh, Resident Evil adaptations, explosion it really is of the, the tail early end of that whole moment, yeah. I mean, right? it's time you know, wise. I think the the era that's really the hottest is like oh two to oh four, right? Mm -hmm. You've got the first two Resident Evil movies, Shaun of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead remake, 
bunch of stuff hits at Walking once. Dead Walking TV, Dead. Well, yeah. and that hits in like oh nine. Oh, right. is it later? Yeah, okay. it's later. But the but to your point though, the graphic novels are starting to pick up popularity throughout that decade. Um, so anyway, Walking Dead the show hits in oh nine. That kind of feels like the zenith of this moment. Uh, but then you have this film that comes out a few years into that show's run. You know, that show's already a big international hit. Uh, and and then Quiet Train to Busan comes along and you know takes the world by storm. And uh, you know, it took me now almost seven years to get to it but wow yeah i can see why it was such a big hit i can see why it uh don lee is that his his i know he's got a, a name he kind of goes by internationally um i had it pulled up earlier and i lost it um but i can see why he kind of became a huge star off of this you know he ends up playing gilgamesh for the mcu mm. um but you know he he has a huge ma dong soak uh is his like full name, but yeah, I think he goes Don Lee. Don yep. Lee. That's what it is. I knew he had like a professional, like nom de like plume a stage thing. name. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's kind of, he becomes so huge off of this movie and you can well tell why, cause he takes that jacket off and you see how huge he is. <laughs> and what a beefcake. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, he's so cool and like so charismatic and so empathetic and just like kind of like a traditional tough guy, secondary character while also like having a little bit more, I don't know, kind of sensitivity and earnestness and that type of character usually gets. So you really see why that that performance kind of launched this guy into international stardom. And uh, I, I will say that, unfortunately, for Train to Busan, as is the case with films like this sometimes, when a performer kind of comes in and takes over the movie, when they're not on screen, the movie suffers. Um, which isn't to, like, say that the film is bad or, you know, drags without him. It's just not at its strongest when he's not there to kind of help things along. Uh, but it is, like, very visually exciting. Um, it does some of the same stuff that uh, World War Z did a few years earlier, but with a smaller budget. Uh, and because it can lean on visual effects less, it has to do a little bit more in camera. And they find some really kind of cool, clever ways to... to put the visual of like the zombie ant colony on screen. Um, Truly some cool stuff I've never seen in a zombie movie before. And that's, you know, there's been so many for so long at this point that when a a zombie picture shows you something you've never seen before for me anyway, that's enough to get me pretty juiced up. Uh, Cause this, you know, when I was a kid, this was probably my favorite horror genre, you know, from like 12 to 19. Like this was my bread and butter. I love this stuff, Mm. man. I couldn't get enough zombies. Um, I'm kind of whatever about it, uh, over the last few years. Uh, but this was enough to like really lock me in for, you know, a full two hours, which I, I did not expect. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. Um, I don't want to get too much into it cause I feel like it's kind of fun to see what, how it unfolds, mm-hmm. you know, um, as with many zombie movies, sort of the adventure is like, what are the character arcs for these people thrust into this crazy situation? So I, I don't want to give away too many like individual plot beats, but uh, I, I was really excited by the filmmaking on this. Uh, there's some kind of cool, like, I don't know if they're GoPro segments or like chest mounted rigs, yeah, yeah. but yeah, there's some really cool sort of locked down shaky frenetic stuff mm-hmm. while the, you know, the, the actual focal point of the camera's view is like not shaking, but like the, the background is like really right, cool right. stuff that way. Um, yeah, the stunts are exciting. Um, some really cool fight choreography. Um, you know, when, when there's no guns, you have to get more creative with your zombie movie, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's, you know, say what you will about American zombie fiction, but we yeah, I gotta, gotta get up to the other countries who have to find a way to make that exciting. And they can't just be like, everyone has a firearm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is an exciting one. I'm curious to see what you guys thought about it. I, I, I will say that I kind of figured out where things were going. And I, the last 20 minutes or so didn't really compel me as much as the rest of the film. But overall, I'm a big fan. All right. Very good. Very good. Thank you for that. Dalton, um, Arthur, do you like Train to Basan? Would you like a ticket on that train? No. 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 Please don't put me on that train. <laughs> I am not outfitted. I am no Don Lee. I am uh, I am right for the picking on, that, on the zombie train. You rubber and duct tape and a baseball yeah, bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all we uh, need. You know, it's also fun. The sun from Parasites here. Choi uh, mm-hmm. Wushik. Uh, um, uh, so that's a fun little bit yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, man, it's it's a good movie. I mean, the premise alone, right, is just G. I mean, zombies on a train. Yeah, that's so simple and elegant, and works very well. Um, and so I think that's really cool. I think the zombies are cool. I think what this movie does really well. I don't know if we can come back to this later if if, if we wanted to, but I think that this movie delivers. I think this movie presents the zombies with a level of pathos that is not present in other zombie movies. There is a level of which 
there are multiple kind of zombie turns that are very, very emotionally effective where we actually are very saddened by what happens to these people who are becoming zombies. Um, I think a lot of times, especially in American zombie films, obviously the zombie is representation of the kind of mindless consumer. And so we don't have that sort of buy in typically. And we usually get a lot of just cannon fodder and there may be like the one emotional turn, like yeah. the, uh, the friend in the Dawn of the Dead remake, Ving Rhames friend from across the street. Like mm-hmm. there's like the one, the guy they play chess with. Yeah. 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 That, that may happen. Yeah. Like, uh, walking deads in that first uh, episode, there's a, there's a wife yeah. and, and that's really the only place of pathos there. I mean, I, I, I think they try at it with the, 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 bisected woman like mm. is the best way i'm trying not to be graphic and yeah. gory but and I, you know walking dead's a little different because obviously you get you know multiple seasons to try to tell a story so you can kind of do that i think a little better but within the movies it's not something i've seen a lot of but there were multiple moments where where people are turning and i'm like oh man not them you know like mm. and really can care about these and i think that kind of speaks to some of the thematic stuff going on here uh, in comparison to maybe the English or American zombie. So I think that's all really cool. Uh, again, yeah, Don Lee, Ma Dong Sook, just, I, I said off air, when he pulls, uh, when he takes off that smoking jacket and pulls off that uh, scarf and just tapes up, like, let's go to work, bro. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's so it, cool. it turned into a professional wrestling movie. Yeah, he's yeah, just throwing you know? people against the ceiling, just knocking them out left and right. And I, I think he's... He's just a movie star. Yeah. And to Dalton's point, I I think it does hurt when he's not around because he's I mean, he just immediately captures uh the screen when he shows up. I mean he's, that, too, he's I almost think he's he's too good. Like he's too much it voltage is, is yeah, the problem. I think it, it hurts the movie. The yeah. rest of the movie is actually nobody else good. is at his level. He's yeah. got so much juice. And it's I think it's, it's it is insane. a weird thing of casting where you're like I, I don't know many instances where that's kind of happened. You like know, you want somebody worse actually than yeah, <laughs> because I think it would balance out the rest of the movie. Because I do think it kind of suffers in a pacing thing for me, and, and there may have been some other variables going on with me personally. But uh, because of that, and the way some of the sort of emotional climaxes are paced out here, you know, there'd be a big moment happen. And I'd be like, okay, we must be about to wrap up. And then it's like, oh, we have an hour left. Yeah. Or yeah. five minutes left. Yeah, like, I had that too. So I'm like, okay, let's let's get to where we're going, please. Let's get this train into the station, uh, pun intended. <laughs> um, and I started to feel it mm. a, a few times throughout. So uh, that's really the major thing for me, though, is is some pacing stuff. Other than that, it's a great premise. And, and I think going to the pacing thing is when you kind of start with your stakes about as high as they can go. I think it's hard to really move the needle much in a momentum way, in a forward momentum way. And I think that's where the film is kind of suffering is that this movie starts pretty high with the stakes. I mean, when we get to the train, we're about 30 minutes in. But I mean, the stakes go to, you know, they crank to 11 pretty quick uh, by introducing zombies onto the train that quick. And I think that hinders the, the, the narrative kind of arcs it can tell which hinders momentum. And so that's really my one slide against this movie is just some storytelling, some, some pacing issues really Mm. is what it comes down to, which is, I think a a lot of variables just in the introduction of zombies, but also with characters who we do get super invested in, but if they're not on screen and we're following other characters, we're not as invested, you know, those things like that. And so I think there are a number of things that sort of affect the pacing for me, but, the movie of the whole, I think it's just a rock solid zombie movie. I mean, like you said, I think it's easy to see why this became a phenomenon. Yeah. And so I, I dug it quite a bit. Dustin, what'd you think? I, you know, I, I'm with you on the whole pacing thing because oh, and I think it's a general problem of zombie movies. Um, they all have three act structure and, you know, you can have sort of locations or major, major set pieces. But the whole way that the plot moves forward in these movies is always with the complication to the plot. So mm-hmm. there's just and by the way, somebody with you has been bitten or by the way, yeah. there's, you know, the, I mean, the, the door got left unlocked or I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to give actual spoilers. Well, the movie. I'll just kind of. I can't remember how I phrased it before, but I've talked about this type of movie that like things can't go right movies. Right. And I think aliens is sort of a prototypical example of one of those. And it's yeah, exactly. Like every turn, there is a complication that prevents safety. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's just the warp and woof of what a zombie movie mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And they are, I, I think it's one of those problems that we were talking about with the same with our, with Don Lee, um, is that, um, it's too good that they're the bits are too good and you feel like you've, you've reached an emotional catharsis. And so you're expecting three act structure to go ahead and pay off and play out. Yeah. And, uh, because all the, all the bits are really, you know, 
really fascinating. Like, oh, what about we find out some of the code and we figure out this is one of the secrets of the zombies and I won't give any of the stuff away at this point again because we're in this poor free territory. But that kind of information and those those things, now you're going to use that bit to sort of solve the problem or go on to the next sort of major area. And they're just... Again, it's not like there's too much of it. It's just that they are, they are they're too heavy, right? It's just it's not a long escape. It's an escape with a new complication and then yet another new complication. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's just this sequence from without again getting too spoilery yet from Dejon St- Dejun Station uh, before they you know they kind of the last big stop before they make haste to Busan. That segment of the film to like let's say all of the passengers are reunited. Mm-hmm. That segment of the film is just so electrifying. Right. And like, I, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I don't think the film can kind of like, it holds up this like kind of long extended series of set pieces. Right. And even after that moment, there are all these like huge, huge, a lot happens huge after that. complications, like yeah. really heinous kind of, you know, and, and, and that's, that's the issue is they were too creative yeah. and, and, and kind of did, had too many good ideas. The coolest shit like happens and there's still too much movie to happen. Right. Or too much left to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, I think that does contribute to something of a pacing issue. My major problem with the movie, I like it. So, I mean, this will make sure I love the movie. I like it a lot. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I think we're we're all kind of nitpicking because we like it a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't care for the maudlin score. I think it's over sentimental at times. And um, it really kind of makes me a little crazy. Well, I had a friend comment on the... I saw his review on Letterboxd, but he talked about the way it's got this very soap opera mm-hmm. thing happening with this it. real and melancholy yeah. kind of note that would kind of come in yeah. for these emotional payoff moments. And I think those emotional payoff moments are good and we need them for character development. Mm-hmm. But I think the movie is um, signaling while setting its tail on fire when it could just sort of gesture. And that would have been enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and something a little I less heavy handed. Yeah. I know none of us are into K dramas, but I'm wondering if this is a cultural thing. It may, it may be you something know, that is, is a carryover from like, yeah, from K drama scores or, you know, anything like that. But yeah, like, it, I know none of us have enough of footing to be sure. It may be a national aesthetic kind of thing as mm-hmm. well. And, yeah. uh, but for my taste, I don't, I don't care for it. And yeah. so, uh, but again, I'm not, this is me nitpicking. I'm a movie. I otherwise very, very much joy yeah and so that that all works i do love the zombies um cool zombie acting cool, cool zombie acting and i do and, I, and i'm gonna quibble with arthur just a little bit because i i think there is a politics to this but it, it's not consumerism as you say but i i do think it's beginning to make some commentary on class and i i, I think there's an interesting way that those emotional payoffs of the few zombies that we do end up recognizing how that kind of works for us um, and to whom who recognizes them. We'll, we'll talk more about it when we get to it. I didn't have a, I don't well, know what you're quibbling. Oh, uh, I'm not quibbling. You, you said something about, or maybe it was Dalton that said something about the zombies, typically the, the symbol of American consumerism. And this is, no, I think that's just gearing in your brain. I don't think either of us said oh, anything man, my like brain that. Just I did. said the American zombie is oh, typically consumerist, but gotcha. there's thematically something else here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, okay. So you did say that. Okay. Well, I'm, I, I, I'm, which is much more related to the class, the, yeah. the class. Stuff. And, and yeah. I, I guess I, when you said something else, I thought you were saying something Something else not political, um, so my mistake uh, for mishearing there. But my no, my that's my, right. Apologize. <laughs> my, On air. My thought is that it is something to do with class, and I and I think that's kind of brilliant. And I think it's something of a piece of some general. I mean, you don't generalize Korean filmmaking at this point, but in there, there seem to be a lot of stellar Korean films right now are sort of. Um, thinking along those lines. I mean, even our, our lead actors... Rich people suck. It's, yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of the common thread. I mean, our lead actor is also in Squid Game. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, you know, Parasite is yeah. the best uh, picture winner out of this country just a few years ago. So, um, it seems to be a kind of a preoccupation right now. And I do think the movie... Uh, in terms of style, we'll talk about form later. Um, is doing some interesting things to capture some of. There's that. some really good shit in here. Yeah, little little nuggets like, well, if you don't study hard, you'll end up like him. Oh, uh, my mommy <laughs> says people who say that are bad. She must have flunked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, just some, it, it lays its groundwork pretty early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so we'll we'll get to that when we get to it. But yeah, overwhelmingly, we all like the movie a lot, dear listener. It's a very very good time. It is um attention racking uh, kind of movie. I will say this. Please, please stop making your horror movies where you have to guide a child through a horror thing because it makes me really anxious. 
I just I, I have vicarious anxiety Dear, for this I kind have of stuff. Such a bad time with my host picked on. Oh, dude, why are you so mean to me? I'm I'm, I'm doing it to both of you. Yeah. It's 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 for your own good. It, okay, That's I'm trying I'm trying to like pre- teach you both the lesson pre- come pre- the end of this month. Prepare us for the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for that, pal. Uh, so that is our thoughts. We're going to move. Are those are that is those are our thoughts. Who uh, knows? Who knows? Uh, we're going to move on though now to the next part of our show, which is called expanding the syllabus. And Arthur is going to tell us what expanding the syllabus is all about. Well, I, you know what? I'll do that for us. Uh, expanding the syllabus is a thought experiment where we, the hosts, we're going to assemble an academic course, maybe a module within a course uh, based around the assigned viewing for the week and some adjacent text. That could be books, articles, video games, whatever we want that we think supplements the material. Very good. Very good. Do you come prepared with the syllabus, my friend? I do. Uh, I, what I really like, and I've already kind of alluded to it, is it is the idea of the tension available to you within a limited space. Uh, and so here, you know, again, putting trains or zombies on a train, uh, it's easy. Uh, I think, you know, obviously a thin line, uh, a, a, it's kind of hard to thread the needle, I guess, is, is the, the way I want to say it. Uh, but it is idea of putting people within a small space and being able to do a lot there. Uh, because often it is we're either stuck in here with them or there's no way out. And I think those are great avenues for um, thrillers and for tension and for suspense. And so. Uh, and somehow I 100% accidentally, uh, in building my syllabus, alphabetized these. Uh, and so I don't know how that worked out, but it did. So I'm going to start, though, with um, Alien, with Ridley Scott's Alien, um, where we put an alien uh, on a space truck and chaos ensues because there literally is nowhere to go um, to get away from this thing. And so it just is easily able to stalk them uh, on the uh, spaceship. Uh, from there, uh, we'll go to something uh, which is kind of a popular little subgenre of the the single location space, and so we take a look at Ryan Reynolds in Buried. Uh, yeah, where yeah, I remember that one. We've got a good eighty minutes where Ryan Reynolds has to try to figure out uh, how to or if he can get out of the situation of being buried alive, uh, and, and this is another space where you have to be very careful that you don't ramp things up too quickly because you need to be able to meet that runtime. And I think buried is pretty good at being able to get there. You know, lock is a similar kind of thing where we mm-hmm, have a single mm-hmm. location as Hardy's driving across London or wherever he's at. Um, I think it's in Britain, but it's in Britain. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a way in which you kind of have to slowly build these single location things so that you have the space to go uh, from there. Uh, beyond that, uh, we take a look at David Fincher's Panic Room. Uh, Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart, Jared Leto, uh, Dwight Yoakam, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. Uh, just a really fun cast. Uh, but again, uh, taking these characters and putting them in this house and then, you know, putting our, our protagonists in a space where no one can get in, but they also can't get out, which I think is another interesting uh, thing to do. And so they have to try to figure out ways to survive the night and get out of here and, and get help. Uh, beyond that, we take a look at Joel Schumacher's phone booth, uh, yeah. starring Colin Farrell uh, in his initial rise to fame, um, which is just I think it still just works. It's just a fun movie. Uh, but again, uh, it, uh, in, interrogating uh, the ways in which you can create tension uh, on the street full of people, but isolating one person as a target. Do you remember, Arthur? I'm trying to remember the exact details here. I think it was Dustin and I. It was right when you came back from your your break in like 2017, and we were assigned a Joel Schumacher movie. And Dustin came over to my apartment with when I lived with Heath to watch it with me, and we watched all of Phone Booth before realizing that we were that was not the assigned movie. It was yes. a different Joel Schumacher. You remember you were this? Watching Sleepwalkers. What's that movie? Not Sleepwalkers. Flatliners. Uh, Flatliners. Flatliners. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We were supposed to do Flatliners, yeah. and Dustin and I watched yeah, I like all of Phone Booth. <laughs> we were supposed to be watching Flatliners. Well, that's a good day. Yeah, yeah. We, we were not mad about it. it was no, a good time. it's a good time. It was a good time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fun. Uh, beyond uh, Phone Booth, I think I take a look at the thing. Yeah, uh, which not only puts us in a tight, isolated space, but also introduces the kind of invisible enemy, which I think is another fun way to play in there. Uh, but we can move this outside of kind of horror or thrillers and look at something like Titanic, even, mm. uh, which obviously is a large cruise ship, but still limited space because you can't get off of it or because of the implication. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's what we do, though. We just kind of take a look. And this could be like a screenwriting thing or, I don't know, production thing. I don't know. And just talk about the use of the limited space to create tension. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. I like that very, very much. Dalton, do you compare it with the syllabus, my friend? I do. And it is not too far afield from Arthur's. Uh, Man, I just want to talk about them daggum trains. 
there's lots of ways to get from point A to point B. But you could argue the most cinematic way to do it's on rail. Uh, we can't stop putting movies on, on, on a damn rail. We just mm-hmm. can't stop doing it. We've been doing it since 1903. We will not stop doing it. Uh, so that's where we start. We start with The Great Train Robbery, uh, a short film uh, of, of much renown uh, that I've only seen bits and pieces of. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one we got to check out because it kind of is like the OG for this. Uh, we also look at, you know, um, our hospitality and the general, the two Buster Keaton films that prominently, especially the general, but our hospitality has got some train stuff too. Um, but those are, those are some of like the OG, like granddaddy train movies, especially strangers on a train as well to, you know, jump forward a couple of decades. Well, even like, what is it just called train arriving at the station? Yeah. Right. Which is kind of, yeah, the, they lost their, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah you guys seen this movie? Yeah. You see, guys seen this movie where the train shows up at the station? Ah, it scared me. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the, uh, what a classic bit. Um, that's a lie. No one did that. Not a single no. person did that. No, no. Apocryphal. Uh, yeah. There's one guy. I, I, you know, Slow Joe in the third row yeah. we're always talking about. Um, and, and again, we're not elitists. We're just smart. You can just, <laughs> you don't need me to list all the train movies. There is a Wikipedia page for like films on trains. It's mm-hmm. so long. Uh, so let's pull some other ones real quick. Uh, more recent picks. Unstoppable, Mission Impossible's one and seven. Uh, both films that like love the history of train stunts and, and want to replicate and pay homage to that that sort of tomfoolery. Um, what else? Uh, Broken Arrow. <laughs> you guys remember Broken Arrow with John Travolta? And, uh, I, I forgot there was a train until you said it yeah, just now. It's all on a train, man. Yeah. Uh, or mostly, anyway. And um, oh my God, I can't think of his name. Christian Slater. There yeah. we go. That's I remember the one. plane crashing and, and then they yeah. run and then they get on the train. And there is on, they're on yeah. the train most of the time, but I, I forget about it. I this. just remember watching the movie as a kid and my dad having to explain to me, like, why a nuke could blow up without a nuclear explosion happening. Why a, the train carrying a nuke could blow up, but it was fine that, because the nuke had been disarmed. Yeah, I, was, I needed that explained Please to me. Please do not fire near the nuclear weapons. Uh, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, what else? Uh, our, our recently visited Throw Mama from the Train, I think bears mentioning. And uh, I don't know, let's, let's close it out with uh, another uh, Far East set, but this time American production, a Bullet Train with Brad Pitt. Um, they just got good rail over there on, on the, the Asian continent. I thought you were going to say Darjeeling Limited. No, no, no. We can we can watch that if we feel like we have to, I guess. Uh, I don't know if opinions vary on that one is, mm-hmm. I guess, the nicest way to just to say it. I, I have not caught up with Darjeeling Limited yet. I want to mention another movie for you. Please. Uh, Peter Turchesky's Train Again. He's mm. an experimental filmmaker okay. out of Austria. And uh, he's got one of my one a movie I'm really fascinated with. It's called uh, Instructions for a Light and Sound Machine, which is a re rejiggering of um, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Okay, uh, and it's rhythmic and all this. But uh, Train Again is thinking about trains and technology and cinema and the fact that you know celluloid looks like train tracks. And uh, there's a similar kind of, you know, a fascination with technology and lots of train movies uh, really morphed and revamped using both digital and analog effects. And I like Peter Trzeski a lot. I've become recently obsessed with him. Currently, a lot of his catalog is available on Mubi if you have oh, a subscriber okay. there. Uh, we obviously have not talked about more murder on the Orient Express yet. This phenomenon goes back pre- prior to film being a thing. Uh, and again, why are we listing all these films? It's very funny to me that Shoah is on the list of train movies, by the way. That's funny is maybe not the right word, but <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, it makes there, me crinkle my eyebrows, I there, guess. There are, there are trains. <laughs> there are trains. Uh, it's, it's, funny what made, all that it's funny what made there the, too. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for it, actually. Uh, <laughs> it's, weird so what made, it's weird what made the list. Before Sunrise is on there, which I guess kind of makes sense. They ride a train, don't they're, they? They're, that's, they meet on a train, yeah. It's impossible. Exactly. There's a lot of films on here. So go look at the list. Have fun. Explore. Um, yeah, but, watching Shoah. Uh, but... <laughs> The, the list is interesting insofar as that it just goes, oh, like even when the movie's not about being on a train, like tr- movies where trains are featured prominently end up on this list. And the more you think about it, the more you're like, damn, like trains are in movies a lot. Like yeah. even when it's not like a big set piece or like the main plot, like in Train to Busan, it still like factors in. And I think to Arthur's point about his syllabus, you know, I, I think trains come up so often because they kind of create the conditions that Arthur just, you know, kind of laid out. They do force the stakes to be higher because everybody's isolated and yet on the way to somewhere. There's there's both this like cramped confinement and an, an end destination going mm-hmm. on. So again, like it forces there to be a thing that's going to happen and a time clock on that thing happening. 
Uh, so again, mm. it just like keeps introduce. There's just the practicalities and logistics of rail travel introduce a lot of stuff into a story that kind of keep it propulsive. But just the, those logistics alone, like, are are enough to like really elevate a lot of stories, and also, you know, again, I, as Arthur talked about, making it so people cannot leave does a lot for a story. Uh, especially if there are zombies on the, on board or a murder uh, or a bomb or any other number of safety complications that we've kind of alluded to. So, yeah, we look at train movies and sort of uh, maybe it would be a, a unit on, you know, transportation and film, mm-hmm. uh, a, a unit on, you know, maybe it's a unit in Arthur's class on these these confined settings within film. Uh, there's a lot we could do with it, but I, I think that's it's fun to think about sort of the the templates we can't stop going back to when we, we tell stories on screen. And uh, I think the train and the rail is an interesting one because, yeah. because of all these things. The Snowpiercer on your list. I should have. Yeah, I should have put it on there. Yeah, I I, uh, I kind of as soon as I got like those three like heavy hitters, I was like, OK, well, I've got some like the three most classic examples. Yeah. And then we can just kind of spitball because there are so many train movies. Right. Um, but yeah, Snowpiercer is an excellent an excellent one and especially pairs well with this film not and not just because they're both from you know korean auteurs but you know because of the class stuff uh dustin how would you teach train to busan i begin my syllabus with a promise okay. i won't do this for every other movie that we do but oh i boy. did take some of the low-hanging fruit here um and the low-hanging fruit is i would do an international horror class and hey, yeah we'll start the marathon off there do yeah a, sure do a module on Asian horror, specifically okay. Asian uh, or generally Asian rather than specifically South Korean. I think there's enough coming out of South Korea that you probably could do that. Yeah. But there's um there's an interesting transnationality that goes on uh, in the cinemas of the East uh, between Hong Kong, uh, Thailand, uh, South Korea and Japan and, um, you know, other other nations uh, in that area where there's there's a weird and interesting kind of uh, conversation that goes on between all of that. And uh, there's a recent observation I heard from Mark Cousins that the 90s um, was a season in which horror was dominated by Asia, uh, particularly in Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, I would begin with Andy Richards' uh, book, which is titled Asian Horror, mm-hmm. which sort of talks about these transnational flows and these sort of, and it does in individual chapters break out some of the particularities of what's going on in Thailand, what's going on in South Korea, what's going on in Japan, uh, what's going on in Hong Kong, and so and those are sort of the big heavy hitters um, that the book examines. And so I would offer this, I think it. At this point, I would think of it as a module in a class that would be just international horror, and we'd have a different module on France or, you know, England or India mm-hmm. or wherever we wanted to do uh, for that, depending on what texts and movies I could get away with and uh, pull off for that class. But uh, what you're really talking about, I'm, I'm getting jazzed because I've, this came up recently because of Old Boy, you know, both mm-hmm. at its 20th anniversary. I know, not a horror film, but hang with me. Um, you know, it's in its 20th anniversary release. Blank Check just covered... Um, I got a blank. Thirst. Uh, I'm thinking, yes, but look, Park Chan Wook. Yeah. Uh, They just covered Director Park. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because of that, they talked about Old Boy and Tartan, Asian Extreme, which I'm sure you remember this era, Mm -hmm. right? Tartan, uh, Palisades Tartan, which is like a UK, US distribution company, Mm. gobbles up all these very, quote unquote, extreme Asian films from Japan and Korea and starts releasing them under this Tartan, Asian Extremes imprint. And I think that's like. It's a big part of the, what you're talking about is is a big part of this movement, both yeah. like in terms of like specifically horror films, but just kind of like extreme right. cinema too. Well, and the, and the approach also is interesting because I mean they are the extremities of just the visuality. I mean mm-hmm. you think of a movie that's on the list is Audition uh, from Japan, yeah, uh, from Miyake, and and it, of course you know because it's just. Wow, um, it's a great movie, and uh, you know the the Grudge is another movie that would come up that because of its American influence and that an additional sort of flavor of transnationality that comes along. Um, we could maybe think about even um, the Host, which is a movie that we've done mm-hmm. uh, on this show before in the past, and then another uh, Korean film that I really like a lot is The Wailing. Um, have either have you seen The Wailing? I've heard of it. It's it, on my list. It's 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 pretty good. It's it's a pretty good time, and so I like it quite a bit. Reincarnation from Thailand is also another uh, good film to look at. Um, they're kind of ghost stories are really kind of fascinating to me and so a lot of thai cinema tends to be a different kind of scary um i think thai horror from my money and i'm not super experienced here but for my uh experience thus far is more unsettling than it is scary mm-hmm. and uh so there's there's a different kind of uh, nuance there and so just sort of playing with those various national cinemas and the ways in which they borrow from each other, have conversation, dialogue between uh, different things. And then again, how those things pipeline to the West, as you mentioned just a mm-hmm. few minutes ago. And so 
that would be the way I would probably approach uh, a class at this point. Again, I promise probably not to do this for every other movie that we do sure. as we move forward. But uh, it's it seemed like a good place to go, and I just happened to have that book on my shelf, and so I thought, oh well, here'd be an cl- excuse to actually teach this thing yeah. with this thing I have. So I do certainly hope you don't plan to do it every week because we are covering a spoilers audition at some point. Oh so. yeah, so yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> where are we? <gasps> oh, mine's could be Arthur changed. might have. Yeah, look, I I asked now over six weeks ago with the programming for this month would be and it and could have knows. changed yeah well, i mean yeah. japan itself can be a thing j-horror yeah, oh, you know yeah, can be time. a thing but um i don't think that's what i'll end up doing um once we get there if we get there if we go anywhere if we if this train ever gets to its destination at any point speaking of trains getting to its destination your syllabus has got much longer and i think it's time to get down to business That's right. Just <laughs> knocking them out of the park. Absolutely crisp, clean conducting going Speaking on right there. Conducting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Speaking our... of zombies representing things, what do they represent to you? Uh, <laughs> is it like a Rorschach thing? Like what you see in the zombie is a reflection of your ideal? Uh, you know what? You're not wrong. I think there is a way in which they are kind of empty ciphers in that sense. I mean, by very definition, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's sort of the human husk of itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the the nature of this particular undead, although these are not dead zombies at all, um, they are it's because they die. Yes. We're in spoiler territory at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So whatever the... Yeah, th- uh, if you haven't picked it up, the code of when the character's not on screen anymore is usually code for he's dead mm-hmm. or gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what we have is not them dying, but they're, they're infected Re-animated with this sort, of, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. this sort of rabies or whatever. They do yeah. this cool thing. Yeah. They keep it vague. Uh, but there's like a dead eye shine. Mm-hmm. There's like a dead eye thing going on yeah. and they can't see in the dark, yeah. which is yeah. cool. And then they do this like nurses from Silent Hill. And I actually saw that cited as a specific like inspiration mm. point. The, the mm. there's a couple of video games that kind of made the, the, you know, I, I, if Wikipedia is to be believed and go digging on sources and footnotes. Uh, but the director cited a couple of like specific undeads and video games that mm. inspired him. But I say that to say like, like the nurses in silent Hill, there is this kind of cool, like nervous system reanimating thing yeah. that the actors do when they get zombified. Mm-hmm. Very. And the sound and the sound yeah. design that goes with, it's very neat. Like, yeah. You, joint, I don't know if they grab some like contortionists or why, but there's a couple there's the one moment uh, outside of a train where like the zombie gets his arm stuck behind After its head, falls which out is of a window. so cool. So I was good. thinking about that in the dance scene from Suspiria. Like I like immediately <laughs> oh, in my head, yeah, just like I'm watching this thing happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the very, very, very fascinating stuff there. But yeah, I think you're right. The zombies are empty uh, signifiers. And mm-hmm. so it, it, and I think the filmmaker does add the thing. I, I, I don't know. That you can sort of make an argument that um, whatever the viewer wants the zombies to be is what the zombies are. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think there is a there's a more of a heavy hand in individual zombie films that they do they they are uh, invested with some kind of meaning here, and the meaning I think that goes on in this film is one of kind of class. And I begin that with thinking well, class and like social upheaval, right? Right. Like, yeah. Wh- how how do different social classes respond to uh you know widespread disaster mm-hmm. couldn't help think about the pandemic a lot during this man yeah. a lot of yeah. jokes about how you know just just remain calm the government will take care of you a lot of that stuff yeah and i i wonder i mean we haven't seen i i, was, I halfway expected to see a zombie resurgence Mm. post-pandemic and we really have too soon too soon is it? i mean we had too many things that were like about widespread pandemics during the pandemic we had like station 11 was a yeah. big hbo hit or max hit whatever because uh, it was streaming only there's another one that i'm, I'm failing to think uh, of yeah I, I think it was i mean I, I think you'd have to go through a genre approach because i mean there are a number of movies that tried to capture the pandemic mm-hmm. right that either mm-hmm. on purpose or on accident yeah. you know just kind of line the way yeah. the timeline I mean, lined up you know uh, Asteroid City has a bit of this going on, right? Oh, big time. You know? yeah. I think that one's like very deliberately like kind of signaling towards the idea of being locked down. Yeah. For sure. yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought about um, the last referenced on this show in Alien 3 episode, I believe, but Elite Panic. You guys remember talking about that a long time ago? Uh, no. Good. It's fine. I've got my notes ready to go. This okay. is why I keep them on my phone because I can just search keywords and pull shit when, when needed. Panic. Elite Panic. Uh, and the documented human impulse towards mutual aid. It's uh, a Rutgers University uh, 
uh, paper published by Karen Chess and Lee Clark in 2008. Um, But anyway, it's again this idea that like when shit jumps off, Mm -hmm. societally speaking and widespread disasters uh you know the worst waste shirt fire factory hurricane katrina uh, 9-11 um whatever people regular folk do not tend towards like rioting and yes riots happen that's a part of this shit happening but like widespread like wanton violence doesn't really happen uh there is a a, an observed and documented impulse towards mutual aid among Mm. like people living within communities what happens though is you have people with business interests like pushing for a militarized uh, response towards these sorts of incidents because they do fear a sort of uh, a a lack of traditional law enforcement or uh, strictures like allowing for uh looting and that, that sort of thing to take yeah, place. Yeah. Um, anyway, go, there's more to be found. And again, I think I'm sure we got into it more on Alien 3, but I thought about that a little bit with the COO character and how like at every turn he is trying to like block access for anybody but himself. Mm-hmm. Is always, and it's interesting how we get uh, um, the, our, our dad character, um, whose name I had pulled up, um, Gong Yu is the actor, um, but the Gong Yu character is sort of like positioned next to the COO characters. They're both business guys. You know, he's like a hedge, the, the dad's like a hedge fund guy. And mm-hmm. this, this, the COO character works for like a transit, like a busing company or something. Something like that, yeah. Um, but like at one point, Gong Yu uh, pulls uh, his, his daughter, or the character pulls his daughter aside and is like, you got to look after yourself in a situation like this. And we see throughout the film that that is what the COO is doing. Like mm-hmm. the richest person on the train is like constantly looking out for number one. Yeah. Uh, and and trying to get people over to his way of seeing the world. Yeah, and and then he's and again Gong Gong Yu's character is brought over, you know, by his daughter and by mm-hmm. the situation to sort of be more altruistic uh, for that. Um, I do think that the movie is trying to also sort of indict the sort of sense of upper class mobility that would um, tend itself towards being more individualistic rather than communitarian in one's approach. And so I was thinking a lot about just the, the, the exterior um, photography leading up to getting on the train, just how very, very clean the lines are, how very sharp and focused there. There's a handful of choices where the surfaces all are gleaming. There's just this overwhelming sense of cleanliness. Mm. And we know that South Korea has rundown bits and has, mm-hmm. you know, in between bits and, and they're, 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 you know, it's just like any other sort of major city that you might find yourself in Seoul or any other place like that, that we would, we would expect to find those kinds of locales and the over overwhelming choices that the filmmakers make are these really sort of hyper gleaming, hyper clean, you know, types of surfaces. And and this continues sort of suggestion of upper class mobility and Mm. moving in that direction and traditional sort of um, understandings of what success looks like and uh, the pursuit of that kind of stuff. And what the zombies in this particular case do is show us the foil of the emperor having no clothes, that there there's real vacuity to that kind of living. And so, uh, but I remember overwhelmingly thinking, wow, up until they get to Busan, that uh, all the, the trains, I mean, it's best train station I ever saw in my life, mm-hmm. right? And I've been in a handful of train stations, and they are pretty awful, you know, pretty grungy places. Well, especially here. Mm-hmm. We don't really put money into it. And, uh, you know, very, very clean trains. And I'm, I'm sure I, I sort of generally assume a, a greater Asian cleanliness uh, in these kinds of places that they tend to take care of these things better. Um, I, well, look, there's a reason the Black Plague, like, fucked up Europe worse than it did other places. Right. <laughs> there, there is a hygiene reason there. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I think there is something to that. But, uh, again, the, the choices are overwhelmingly manicured in terms of herbage or manicured in terms of just, you know, the, the asphalt and concrete. Everything is just gleaming. Uh, throughout and then lit in such a way that you see that gleam. It's interesting. Yeah, I didn't and, pick up on that. And so I, I thought about that a lot, just those exterior shots. I mean, just the, 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 the newness of the train itself and the sure. train in service for a long time. It gets faded, you know, mm-hmm. at the very least, if not dingy. And there's no sign of dinge or fade. Yeah, you have to wonder about that. How much is that, you know, a practicality of it's all new because it's probably a train set and how much of that is, you know, no, they thought about making the train set not look run down and they mm-hmm. wanted it to gleam and shine. And yeah, it's interesting to think about again, especially just because like rail culture is so different in parts of the world that are less. I mean, obviously, like 
cars are a big part of transit in Korea, uh, just based on, I mean, they have a lot of car companies. We've seen enough uh, films and consumed enough stuff set in Korea that we know car is still a big form of travel over there. But uh, you just rail in, in Korea and Japan, especially like it's just so much different than it is here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just it's wild to think about traversing a big country by rail very quickly. Well, I mean, and just the choice that the family makes is kind of fascinating because they're driving in a car to the train station to make a, a what, an hour and a half, two hour trip. He's going to be gone it's for the morning and way, back, way quicker by rail. Yeah. Back by lunchtime. And again, the idea that it's, is it going to be way quicker? I mean, because tra- this is not a bullet train. It's not an extreme speed train. So, I mean, yeah, he probably has less stops and maybe less, you know, sort of traffic to contend with. But one would have to assume that the driving trip would not be significantly more, but that's just the You're assu- actually wrong. Really? Yeah, the KTX is specifically a high-speed rail oh, system. Oh, is it? Okay. It, the X literally stands for Express. Well, they, they did so, not... They, did they not didn't hammer f- that home, though. Yeah, the, I did, there was no indication at all that, that train was moving extra fast. Yeah. The, so. the high-speed line specifically from Seoul to Busan started in 92, and they launched service in 04. How fast does it move? I'm going to find out while we're talking. I want to know. Uh, operating speed's about 190 miles an hour. Oh, wow, that's yeah. pretty quick, then. 305 kilometers an hour. Yeah, yeah. So. I, and I figured so because I I know Busan and I don't know I was I, I was about to pull the drive time from Seoul to Busan but I thought that might take a little too long but mm-hmm. I know they're not like right next to each other I know yeah. they are you know a ways apart um, so I was I figured that's four hours to drive it four hours by by car okay <laughs> yeah so I figured it had to be just because when they said they mentioned that one hour mm-hmm. you know each way I, I figured that it had to be an express train because wow. I knew they weren't close that is a that's a rough trip then okay well I yeah. take I take some of that back then. I mean, that's you just thought you knew international travel. Well, I did, they didn't say it was going fast. They, they, they never told me the train went fast. Didn't you do these algebra problems in high school? Uh, well, they yeah. literally do do an algebra problem on the train. Yeah, but I did never get a speed, I guess. Or, yeah, they don't really get into it. I mean, it's, a baseball team is traveling. Uh, but yeah, I, I get why you would. I mean, especially like I know the Euro rail lines have been around mm-hmm. a lot longer. And again, I well, and this kind of alludes to more about like, why are these trains looking so nice? They're only 20 years old. They're yeah. not even 20 years old yet. Uh, especially when the time this film was made. So it is still you know, a, a relatively new part of uh, transit uh, in South Korea, I guess. Speaking of South Korean history, very fun to get a re-education camp drop. Uh, they're talking when the riots are first starting, yeah. Yeah. and we don't really know what's going on. The two older sisters <laughs> talking about the, their country's political history. Yeah. It's wild. Very funny. Just, you know, people uh, nostalgic for their military dictatorship. Good stuff. Yeah, it's it, it, it is a wild thing, and again, that's one of our more heartfelt moments when we see the zombified sister. Oh my uh, gosh! There. Yeah, and uh, then we have suicide by zombie. Um, which well, is, and, and you know, attempted regicide by zombie. Right? COO becomes king yeah. of the train. Yep. and uh, says, "No, no, no, no! New arrivals have to be quarantined." Uh, and, uh, yeah, she says, no way you guys got my sister killed. Uh, fuck all of you, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, quite a move to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of, we really do get kind of a lot of classic zombie character archetypes, zombie movie character archetypes. I feel like, mm-hmm. yeah. um, or at least the pregnant couple, the pregnant couple or classic moments to like the character who opens a door they shouldn't open yeah. in the mm-hmm. case of the sisters. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, two elderly sisters are like a classic combo of people you see in the world yeah. uh, but not really something that you do see in a zombie so they're kind of like a fun novelty young athletes though yeah. young, young lovers that's classic right. stuff yeah. especially stu- students athletes specifically yeah. really the only archetype we're missing is a MacGyver we don't have a MacGyver yeah we've got Don Lee as like the tough guy mm-hmm. yeah um, and again as you instead said of the, having some sort of military specialist like yeah. being Rames or whatever yeah. but but they are the and they're also the young couple as you mentioned yeah evil rich guy um, that's for the train conductor. I mean, pilot slash driver, like that sort of the, the sort person, of false front yeah. of authority that doesn't really have any authority or know really what to do yeah. outside of the you know the puppet masters pulling his yeah. strings. Well, yeah, but, but also the guy that you have to keep alive, right? Like the person who can fly the helicopter, or drive yeah, the right. boat, or whatever it is. So again, like it's interesting, like how this film sort of like fits into the formula that we're used to seeing and. Again, we've mentioned already how it kind of like visually, you know, nods to uh, 20, not 28 days, uh, World War Z from like four or five years prior to this film. Mm-hmm. And again, like, does it that film, you know, you spends hundreds of millions of dollars on special effects to show you zombies crawling up each other. This film is like an 80 million dollar movie. I don't even think it's that expensive. I think it's cheaper than I that. I wondered about that stunt. Lo- 
that, yeah, you know what I'm about to talk about. Okay, are you yeah, gonna tell me it's how? Eight million budget. It's an eight million budget. Yeah, I thought it had to be. Yeah, I, as soon as I said eighty, I was like, wait, that's how much the creator. That's cost. how much it made. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah I was say it made just shy of a hundred. Yeah. So yeah, got eight million dollar movie. You're talking about the stunt where you've got the horde of zombies holding onto the train. Yeah, right? I want to know. I couldn't find it. I'm gonna look it up more because I'm still curious. Because I'm thinking tarp. I'm thinking big piece had of to be canvas. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's parts of it are CGI extensions sure. for sure. So they're not on a real rail. I don't think. I think. Like the backdrop, like looked all like CGI extensions to me, but yeah, like there's definitely people hanging on to that train mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, so yeah, one of the craziest things I've ever seen in a zombie movie, bar none. Like, and that alone like puts this movie spoilers, sorry, on the shelf for me. <laughs> I think it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen in terms of just like finding clever things to do with zombies. And again, like World War Z spent. A, a, ungodly amount of money to try and say like if you have all the money in the world what can you do with a giant pile of undead bodies uh and busan said okay nice try we're gonna do it better with way less money Mm -hmm. Uh, and to me like it's it is a much more effective visualization of sort of this like hive mind colony using itself to like get to its goal it's so wild yeah but yeah that stunts nuts um, one of the thing I thought about with the movie is how it has its cake and eats it too. Um, so a criticism or a, again, kind of a convention going all the way back to Night of the Living Dead from George A. Romero is the um, cynical, unhappy ending sure. uh, in these kinds of films. And uh, there's a moment which sort of nods to that where um, the the um, the the daughter and the pregnant wife are the only spoilers now, right? The yeah, only two were there. Only two survivors left. They're coming through a tunnel and the tunnel is being watched by snipers and they're like, I'm not sure if they're, you know, alive or not. I'm like, Oh, they're going to shoot them. Cause that's what they do in night of living dead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or one guy that makes it ends up getting caught, you know, shot by, yeah, uh, the movie's the definitely assuming you've seen night of the living dead yes, at that point. I think. Yeah. And, um, and then of course spares them, yeah. but also kills dad. You know, yeah. earlier on. And, and very classic. Reminded me very much of the, uh, I can't think of the actor's name, but uh, <laughs> Patricia Arquette's husband from Medium, the way he dies in the Dawn of the Dead remake. Right, right, yeah. Very kind of reminiscent of that. Yeah, sort, sort of, of like no, no, noble suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, sacrifice, I guess, more yeah. so than that. I mean, he's, uh, whatever. Um, classic heroic sacrifice. Yeah, classic, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't, how does that play out for you guys, is my thought. Because I, I like the movie a lot. I really enjoy it, but... I, I almost wanted it to be over at that point. I mean, part of it for me was like truly the anxiety of being late to record because, you know, we all have stuff going on. Uh, so I was like, God, I need this movie to be over so I can get in my car and leave. But yeah, Don Lee was dead. And I mm-hmm. was just like, what are we? We got yeah. like a whole set piece here at, uh, you know, the Deju station where we got like, they're not Deju. Uh, it's when they've like, I forget what city they're in, but they're not yet to Busan. Uh, and they have to like do a full train transfer because of a, a de- mm-hmm. derailed train. And like, it's a cool set piece. There's some fun stuff. You know, the the unnamed unhoused guy um, mm-hmm. who gets a bunch of cool stuff throughout the movie. He gets who his heroic, heroic sacrifice. Moment, yeah. yeah. We've got a, the cool set piece of like one of the derailed trains, like over him, yeah. uh, Don Yu's daughter, uh, Don Lee's wife. And they're all like... Sorry, we're bad with South Korean names or Korean names in general, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody's like in relation to the their relationship to somebody with an easier to say name. Right. Sorry. Uh, not, you know, it's look, it's loaded either culturally or gender wise. We're letting you know it's because of culture, not gender. <laughs> anyway, these women and the unhoused guy are trapped under this train and there's like zombies pounding on this glass. And it is like a very cool like they're stuck between an upright train and a derailed train. And it's it's sick. Mm-hmm. But I'm with you guys. I'm like, well, all right, how much longer does this movie have left? Yeah. Like, where are we going? Yeah. yeah. So I, I agree that like I, I like that it has its cake and eats it, too, as far as like grim but hopeful ending yeah but i do wish it was like 15 minutes shorter yeah agree i mean after i mean it really was after you know don lee's moment where, mm-hmm. where he turns and you know i'm tired and then mm-hmm. just gives in like i'm like okay i mean we're here i mean this is the big emotional climax of the film right and then it's like 45 minutes and i'm like what are we gonna do now like yeah. i yeah and again i think it goes back to a weird casting thing where like the most electric guy in the movie is now gone. Gone, yeah. yeah. And nobody else has the, the chutzpah to, to keep it up. And maybe it's because, you know, Don, you is by design like a conventionally macho guy. Like that, that as a character, that's like part of his arc, right? Like his not being the fighter is like, you know, part of why he has to is so like you got to take care of number one. You in a situation like this, you have to look out for yourself. Like 
he I, I think that like that aspect of of it is like both written into the character and written into like the kind of guy that they cast and into the performance. Like it's all there. And I don't know if that's like that's an interesting protagonist for this kind of movie, right? Like yeah. I, I think And I think he gets where his character needs to go real early. I mean, I think he realizes it's not long after Donnelly's gone that he realizes what he's supposed to do. I mean, mm-hmm. it's by the time... Like, he gets that arc real quick, I think. It's Dejun Station, I think, right? Like, mm-hmm. when he gets saved by the unhoused dude, and then he has to save Don Lee after Don Lee's already, like, saved him earlier in the movie yeah. and been like, you're a schmuck for not, like, being more helpful and yeah. trying to save people. Like, yeah, I think you're right. It's, like, by the half-hour mark, 45-minute mm-hmm. mark, he's kind of, like, a much more heroically acting character. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't know if, it, if, if I don't know if it's his performance is less compelling or he as a character is like hey, he's a hedge fund manager. So we like already have less of a buy in on him or we're going to just because Don Lee's so electric and charismatic. Like, I, I agree with you that like there is an unbalancing in the equation. It's kind of hard to figure out where. And I think there's a weird kind of bearing of the lead that the movie does because mm. there are three sacrificial deaths in the movie. Okay. And um, one of them is not like the other ones. Mm-hmm. So we've got um, Don Lee and we've got dad. Um, both of whom um, are bitten, and therefore it, they sort of resign to death, resign to the inevitable. And then we have our unhoused guy, who throws himself at zombies to mm-hmm. save the girls. Yeah, and I, I, I think he has the the one truly heroic moment. Mm. You know, uh, in, in sort of the, in the purest sense of the movie, and it is a big deal, and it's a big set piece that's going on there. But it, weirdly enough, it's sort of. Again, I think it know the movie knows what it's doing there. Oh, sure, because it ties into its like larger class names, right? Right. Like just the introduction of that character and the introduction of the COO character like are linked together in a big yeah, way clear, because the COO apparel. is like, we have a stowaway, and you think it's the bitten woman that we yeah. saw get on the get on mm-hmm. the train, and the reveal that it's you know someone housed dude who saw some crazy shit and is like about the zombie apocalypse happening, and so like the the fates of those two characters are like tied mm-hmm. in a big way so i think you're right that like it's 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 a cool set piece moment but it is like a big part of the thematics of the yeah, movie it, but yet the emotional heart of the movie almost sort of undercuts itself is what i'm kind of suggesting that okay. because all we care about is dong lee all we care about is dad yeah sure. you know and and, and so i i I, I'm not critiquing the movie i guess there but i'm just sort of like it's it's, it's it, 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 i don't know if it's subtle if it's sort of making these class comments and uh, that that's a good way to sort of slip it in through the side or if it's one of those things where um, just the movie kind of mishandles it. I'm not I'm not quite sure which. Yeah. And um, so I'm, that's, that's something I wanted to present that observation. And Yeah, I'm thinking. I don't know. But it's a good question because it's I don't know. The CEO never has any real growth. Right. He gets humanized, though, which mm-hmm. is crucial. That, yeah, those that, last words are sad. Yeah, yeah. It, it's crucial that like when he is and he's the he's the one that we learned through like there is a a window after zombification where you're still I guess we get that with Don Lee. He's like zombified and still holding the, the mm-hmm. wave back. So we get yeah. a couple of notes by the halfway point. We start getting these hints that like you get a, you get a window where you're still you for a second. Well, even the sister, there seems to be some little recognition when she's sure. you know, doing the handprint thing. That's a, good mm-hmm. point. That's a good point. So it is it is those are sprinkled throughout. But the big ones we get are uh, the COO and then after he's died, Gong Yu's character, like his his moment thinking about his daughter's birth and yeah and all that stuff, which is like very sad. And I just wasn't in. I was I was already like ready for the movie to be over. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought it was good. I didn't like the music. I was yeah, <laughs> too, yeah. too treacly. Yeah, I was like, yeah. come on. But all right. Well, are there any other final thoughts about this before we write a verdict on Train to Busan? I do think it's crucial that the COO gets humanized. Um, mm. The big E on the eye chart that we didn't talk about is like the sacrifice of fatherhood, which is like, oh, yeah, kind of like stamped on the film and talked about explicitly. I don't know. You don't need us to talk about the movie talks about it. It's fine. Like, yeah, you know, being a parent is struggle and sacrifice and, Mm -hmm. you know, be prepared for it or, you know, being blamed for doing the right thing. And yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, get used to it or don't have them. Right. I guess is the lesson there. But, you know, it's, it's not really like any deep stuff there. Um, we do get this implication of like somebody that works for, I can't remember if it's the military analyst. Kim is who the caller yeah. ID says. 
and he he knows something about it's well, his coworker from his the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Okay, that's who I thought it was. Yeah, so he, he's kind of on the phone with him consistently throughout. And yeah. they're, they're hedge the fund managing that, that, that somehow they're responsible for whatever chemical got loose. Maybe but, some deal that happened, or they were in charge of the financing for this organization or whatever. How would you would be responsible for cleanliness in a factory if you're the person is just sort of moving the money dollars around? You know what I'm saying? Unclear exactly, and it's and there may be something lost in translation there as well. Exactly, perhaps. Some, yeah, analyst not might me have a loaded meaning that didn't get translated correctly. Yeah, there's there's a couple of like subtitle issues that might be I, keeping I us a, from fully grokking what's going on. Because I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't. I mean, I understand that we might have funded this company and yeah. they were able to do what they were but doing. But why do you guys know that and how is it your fault? But they yeah. took they took the dollars and mismanaged it. Well, that's right. why I thought yeah. he was on the phone with the military guy that yeah. he knew again for a second. Sure. And I love that this is fun. So he's like going through his phone and he's like got, you know, subfolders for his contacts. And I can't remember exactly. It was like schmucks, basically. Oh, yeah. Like dipshits. I can't remember exactly what the <laughs> heading was. But when he calls the military guy, he's in a contact folder that's for like dum-dums or Yahoo. I can't remember exactly what it was. That's funny. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good beat there. Yeah. I like uh, that. He, you know, shows kind of how before the events of the movie, kind of how he feels about the people who who he manages money for. Um, anyway, I, I guess it was just interesting that we get this sort of hint that like some sort of financial or government mismanagement is uh, mm-hmm. people, people following orders, even though they knew they were doing something fishy is like what caused this to happen. And again, it kind of plays into these larger themes of like, you know, government ineptitude mm-hmm. in the face of like large scale crisis. Yeah. I, I do think the movie does make a touch on just contemporary society and digital media. I, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's worth sure. just pointing out that, you know, the use of the YouTube video of the skateboarder mm-hmm. when the uh, zombies fall off the Who helicopter. Who uploaded that video? Some might ask. Uh, well, I think it might've been live is what my, my, my thought was, is they mm-hmm. were okay. live recording in the skateboard. It's always the question with found footage, isn't it? It is. How did they it? get this footage? Who got this? Who edited this? Why is there a score? <laughs> my, my, How convenient. <laughs> my, my assumption was it was live feed and, okay yeah and, and then, then yeah i reckon that it was a tv broadcast or something like that, that. Yeah. <laughs> they sure did look like they were trying to specifically <laughs> mimic the youtube in ui uh mm-hmm. when the for the videos yeah. that's yeah. why i was like wait a second yeah anyway. uh but well, yeah it was no it was a news broadcast that somebody watched and they uploaded it to there YouTube. we go okay, I mean, okay that's how it happened there mm-hmm. you go there we go uh but why were they news broadcasting the skateboarder when the helicopter <laughs> he was uh, a champion skateboarder <laughs> for more thoughts on Train to Busan's logistical issues, you can email us, but we'll get to yeah. that in a second. Yeah, you can find us at CinemaSins on X. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's render a verdict. What we say? Shelf or trash, Arthur? Go. Uh, yeah, you know what? I would shelf this. I, I think this is a valiant uh, entry in the zombie canon. I think this is a good one. I think, like Dalton said, it's since the revival, probably one of the one of the top ten. You know, I think it's, it's really cool. It's doing some really cool stuff, I think, culturally to kind of reinvestigate the symbolism of the zombie mm. as you kind of alluded to i think it's really cool too so uh, it's doing good stuff it's got some great emotional beats and it really just makes me want to seek out more of don lee's work mm-hmm. and that's kind of the takeaway here so yeah I, I think you can shelf this one what do you say dalton you've already said it but say it again yeah i'm with arthur it's very shelfable and because it is like i'll i'll up that top five zombie movies of the 21st century Top 10 for sure, as Arthur said. And I think you could make the argument for top five as well. It's it's really kick ass. And I know we all kind of poo pooed like, oh, man, after Don Lee dies, like, you know, the baby's out with the bathwater. No, don't. It's it's still fine. It's still really good. It, it just, you know, there is a shining movie star performance at the center of it. And, uh, you know, that both hurts and helps the movie. It's at various points. That's a, just just worth mentioning. But yeah, I'm, I'm right there with Arthur. We shelf this one uh, over here. What about you? Shocktober International comes off with a shocking start of a triple crown winner of three shelves. Um, ooh, ooh. What so shall I'm happen also, over the next month? I am going to shelve it as well. I like it a lot. And it is, yeah, I think essential zombie watching. Maybe essential. 20 teens film watching as well. I, I think yeah. it's a big deal for that. So I like it a bunch. Um, Dalton can tell you to um, talk to us and how we can. He can tell have, you what to do with a shelf. I can <laughs> tell you how to talk to us, but I'm not going to. 
And I'm not going to tell you what to do with your shelf because it's none of my damn business. <laughs> um, uh, this, I was trying to make the Sedgwick. Uh, we've, I know. we've been over a month in recording. Sedgwick. And I, I could not make my, my, my Kira segue uh-huh. into. Uh, <laughs> well, everybody knows that I'm the real. Arthur and I are the real Kira's Sedgwick because we're the closers. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's true. Hey, tell them how to talk to us on social media, please. You got it, man. Uh, so you can email this show, Good Trash Genre Cast, uh, at gmail.com. Again, that's the sh- name of the show you're listening to, Good Trash Genre Cast at gmail.com. Tell us your thoughts on Train to Busan, international horror, or any other thing that's rattling through your brain, as long as it's related to movies. Don't, come on, don't be hitting us up about what you should be doing with your your, your mutual funds. I don't fucking know. I got a guy. And when he tells me what I'm supposed to be doing, I Give go... Give them to me. Huh? Give them all to me. Don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I, I need them all. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Good trash genrecast at gmail.com for that long form feedback. Uh, we do technically have social media accounts under the handle <laughs> at Good Trash Media. Um, in the last month, we have not done anything to sort of uh, rectify the current posting situation. Why? Twitter's still broken and Threads and Blue Sky are not really off the ground yet. Will we ever get a Threads account for the Good Trash Media Instagram? You know, it's it's kind of right there already. We could just take it if we wanted it. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, depends if Arthur wants to give me passwords and I feel like learning them and adding a second account to my app. Uh, but we're at Good Trash Media if you want to help those numbers out. Why not? If you're really a social media freak and you, you want to like follow what we're up to, you can find us in individually on Letterboxd uh, and other uh, things. Dustin's on Mastodon. I'm on mm-hmm. Blue Sky. Uh, he's mostly... Orson Cells or Dustin Cells around the internet. I'm Dollywood Squares. Arthur is mostly KAX Caliber or uh, just the Arthur, Arthur Gordon. Or the Arthur Gordon. Uh, so find us Letterboxd, Insta, Threads, that kind of bullshit. We're around. Uh, but, you know, the last and most important thing to know is our Patreon. Uh, you don't have to give us money. It's fine if you don't. This is not a, you know, that's not the main goal of this enterprise. But if you want to help us buy new shit, buy movies that aren't on streaming, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Find out what's in it for you. All kinds of cool gifts and goodies and s- nice little things you can get. Yeah, we had a little bit of mailbag uh, from Jacob Threadgill. Oh, uh, Jacob, hey. Uh, he said, thanks for selecting Clash by Night for me. I watched it with my wife this week and enjoyed it. I enjoy every Barbara Stanwyck performance, and I'm glad I can add this one to the list of good ones. Marilyn Monroe also popped and showed her star potential. Uh, there were some menacing shots from Fritz Lang and Co., but I felt mm. like a missed opportunity for more, especially in the climax. Mm. Uh, halfway thought, halfway through, I thought it might be four stars because we'd be getting a high-stakes third act, but it fizzled to two and a half. Interesting. Uh, the Blu-ray offers commentary from Peter Bogdanovich, and he's definitely shelving it. So thank you again. Uh, and he says he enjoyed the recent Cohen-inspired episodes, particularly uh, Woman and Noodle in the Gun Shop. Oh, nice. That one. Good, because we struggle to know what to say about that <laughs> and movie. And Blue Ruin. And now he wants to go watch Blue Ruin and Green Room. Yeah, you should go watch Blue Ruin so, and Green thanks, Room Jacob, right now, for Jacob. The feedback. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much, Jacob. And yeah, hey, if you, if you get DVDs from us or Blu-rays from us, you know, let us know what you think about your selection. Yeah, I'd never know if they even get delivered. So uh, yeah, yeah. Arthur is constantly texting me, "Hey, did Becca get the Blu-rays?" <laughs> just to I'm make just sure paranoid. they went out. Yeah, yeah. yeah I get it. We, we do send gifts. We do be sending gifts. Patreon.com forward slash GTM. If you want to be receiving one of those gifts, uh, next week we continue Shocktober International. This is Shocktober twelve. Yeah. Damn. Shocktober twelve. How old are we? Uh, you filmed it, don't you? In our 30s and 40s, not in our 20s and 30s anymore. That's how old we are. Wow. Next week, another film <laughs> about age and That's aging. That's right. Next Speaking week, of, though, we move from South Korea to Sweden, and we determine whether or not we should let the right one in. Ooh, vampires, dear listeners, it's going to be a good time. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.